Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. And welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Some old 3DS faceplates. <laughs> and my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. <laughs> and we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into what we've been playing this last week and our rankings, we just wanted to remind you of some of the other stuff we're doing. Firstly, please do check out our YouTube channel where we've got tons of awesome video content, such as the most recent video of Chris tackling the super world I made in Super Mario Maker 2. It is a very fun watch, if nothing else, to see Chris (laughs) slowly lose the will to live over the course of a couple of hours. So do please check that out and the other videos that are on there and subscribe to the channel because we've got some more cooking and we're going to be adding some more soon we also have our patreon page which is home to some excellent perks that you can get in exchange for pledging a few of your pennies such as exclusive bonus episodes deleted scenes and outtakes custom artwork even the chance to record an episode with us so if you'd like to get a little bit more of us in your lives then head over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents and please pledge away So this week we have our 31st favourite video games, but before we do that, it is time to return to the quiz, where the scoreline is getting tense. Chris pulled ahead with an amazing double-pointed victory last week, so he's got 36 points to Minty's trailing 32. So let's see if Minty can pull one back. Which action RPG series from 2011 Uh, is famous for its hard-as-nails boss fights, collecting the souls of defeated enemies... Dark Souls. Oh, fuck's sake. (laughs) Very good. Very good, of course. That wasn't hard at all. What? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is Dark Souls. Congratulations, Minty. 33 points to Chris's 36. Excellent start to a comeback. Still got the buffer. (laughs) So what have we been playing this week? Minty, what have you been playing? I've started a new playthrough on Skyrim. Oh, really? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing a, a, a magic-only run, so no armour, no weapons, just... Just just your mitts, your magic mitts. <laughs> Not even my mitts, <laughs> just the things that come out of them, like fire and a ghost that's the shape of a wolf. Oh, wow. That sort of thing. And I'm also playing a game on my tablet called Bloons Tower Defence 5. Ah, oh, yes. They're meant to be really good, that. That series has been going a long time, hasn't it? I like telling people about this because I like the storied history of the Bloons <laughs> franchise. You started out as you'd have a monkey in the bottom left hand corner and there'd be a load of balloons on the screen. You just had to throw the dart in an arc and pop like, you know, 80 out of 90 balloons to beat the level. And then they started doing a tower defense game where, you know, if, if a balloon touched your house, you'd die or something. <laughs> so, I hate when that happens. I mean, it, Birthdays are a nightmare. It's the last thing you want when you build a beautiful winding path from your house to somewhere else and a load of balloons just come down and start causing havoc. So you, you do what anybody would do and just set up a load of um, intricately skilled monkeys to help you out by popping them with darts and magic and stuff. It's great. Um, I've been playing it on, on and off on desktops at various works for years on and off. But now that I don't have a work PC anymore, I just took the plunge and bought it on the App Store. Fantastic. Fantastic. How about you, Chris? What have you been playing this last week? Well, after you brought up uh, Mario Maker on the 3DS last week, mm. I thought I'd give it a go. 
because I, I've had it and I, I played it very, very briefly when it first came out. Because I think I got it like in a in an Argos sort of 3DS fire sale at some point for about £7 years back. Yeah. And I mean, we've been talking about this in our group chat this week that it has shortcomings as, as a game, definitely. So many. And some of them are like truly inexcusable. So things like you can't download specific levels from, from the online pool. You can play sort of a revolving door of, of randomized stages creation, the Wii U edition, but you've got no choice over what comes down the pipe other than a difficulty. You just say, like, oh, I want an easy one, I want a normal one, and, and that's all you yeah. get. So I'm never going to find my old ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, shame. You can't access a specific maker's content. So the, the level codes and the maker codes from the first game are, are redundant. I think in, in the build mode as well, some of the, the Wii U pieces are missing yeah. because it didn't update at the same rate as the Wii U did. And I think that's kind of why you can't then pull down every level to the 3DS one. Yeah, You can share creations, but only locally or via Street Pass, something that I'm sure no one ever did. Yeah. And the biggest bugbear for me is that it doesn't play in 3D. Yeah. Like I, I really wanted that little kind of like subtle shadow on Mario Maker to, to stand out in this game. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't exist. There is no 3D mode. So it's a really bad Mario Maker game, but it's actually a very very good mario game and and like we've mentioned this amongst ourselves there's in the game there are a hundred stages that have been created by nintendo just the designers at nintendo and in and of themselves they are fun like a hundred stages that's more content than super mario world for example and i think many of the levels like explore some of the gimmicks specific to mario maker like big enemies and and weird power-ups and stuff like that really nicely but where it really, really shines is it's got these medal objectives for each stage. Yeah. And every single one of these hundred levels has two extra objectives. And they always look quite simple on paper. Like it might be defeat all the Goombas using the tail in a Mario 3 level. Or it might be gain a certain number of one-ups using a star power-up in Mario 1. But they all require you to really test your knowledge of, of the game's mechanics. They make you actually properly explore levels. In some cases, like exploit design quirks. And sometimes like really test your memory of iconic Mario stages. Yeah. And I've really loved playing it. Like as, as an early example to kind of like paint the picture of what this game is like. One of them says, okay, your first objective for a medal is to make it through the stage without using warp pipes. And thinking about the level logically, you have to go through the pipe to, to make progress. So you think, okay, how can I avoid this? And you find out that if you bump your head in a few blocks, you'll find a vine that lets you kind of climb outside of the boundaries and, and get over the bit that you couldn't otherwise. So you're like, yep, that's, that's my medal, nice one. Then the second one says, okay, you can use the pipes, but you can't use the warp doors, like another part of this design. Mm. And that took me ages to figure out that, okay, what you needed to do was pick up a Goomba shell, use that to kind of knock a block that was adjacent to the ground so you couldn't bump it with your head, which would release a little Likitu cloud. Uh. And then in the cloud, it exploits the idea that cloud blocks as things that you can walk on. You can pass through the bottom, but not through the top. So if you kind of like hover at the level of the cloud, you can just fit through a little gap that you might not have noticed otherwise. That's how you do it. Because yeah. I haven't been able to get, uh, get that one yet. <laughs> Excellent. But it, it makes you think about the game in a totally different way. And it, it really made me think of how you mentioned Mario Maker being like a puzzle game in terms of a creator. Yeah. But th this makes the Mario platform levels into proper puzzle levels as well because you rush yeah. through them just to beat it and then when you go back and try and get these extra goals you really have to think about what do i understand of how mario works to get through it and it's really good it's really clever it's fantastic i think i think it should have been released as a separate game like yeah. just on the eShop. yeah easily could have yeah my, my only problem with it is the fact that i'm so used to playing on the switch now my hands just cramp up playing yeah. the 3ds yeah and i really wish that it was on the on the switch you know I, I think uh, this might be heresy. I, I really liked the single player mode in Mario Maker 2, but I think yeah, these le these levels are more creative in, in 3DS. Yeah. And it's a shame that they're going to be locked to it because I think loads of people don't even know they exist. 
Yeah. Like I, I would say it's got to be very hard to have a, a hidden gem of a Mario game because of how big <laughs> the, the character in the franchise is. Yeah. But this is probably the closest there is because I'm sure most people saw this release and either said, I've got that at home on the Wii U. I don't need it on the 3DS. Or they read enough about it to think like, well, it's, it's just like the Wii U one, but worse. I'm definitely not going to choose that given yeah. the option of the two. So yeah, people are missing out. So if you do still have a 3DS, you can pick this up for pennies these days. And yeah, don't sleep on it. There's, there's actually some really good stuff in it <laughs> if you can get over having a bit of hand cramp. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I am really enjoying it. And hopefully I will kind of get over that to play a bit more of it. Because uh, it has been really, it has been nice to play. And, and, you know, like I said, talking about Mario Maker, like I've always kind of got some ideas for Mario Maker levels just ticking away in the back of my head. Yeah. And this has really helped with that as well. It's get you know, got me thinking very differently and uh, about some some of the elements and some of the themes and, and what I could potentially do next but um i've had a, a fun gaming week i've i've been contrasting playing the the lovely update of animal crossing which has introduced swimming and diving which has been very uh, therapeutic it's nice just, to be back just isn't lovely. It? to get in the water it's, yeah <laughs> such a small thing yeah exactly and but it's very therapeutic like you don't there's no risk and you can take your time diving for things because it's not like a bug where you need to kind of creep up on it and, and catch it or like a fish where you need to time it. It's just like, oh, there's something there. I'll swim over to it. No rush. I'll, I'll have a little dive. I'll see what it is and, and just keep doing laps of the island. It's lovely. But in, in stark contrast to Animal Crossing, I, I have started playing The Last of Us, which has been... I mean, great. It's been it's been really good fun. It's very tense. It's very cinematic. Uh, the storytelling is is outstanding. Like I've had reservations about this game and playing it, and and I've voiced sort of similar sort of concerns about other games like this. The sort of games that straddle this line of almost being like an interactive movie, yeah. where the story takes precedence over the gameplay, but. I mean, once the story gets its hooks into you, you don't really care. Like, and 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 to be fair, like the gameplay is is really good in The Last of Us, but it, what it, what it does implement is this sort of restrictive nature to it. So it won't allow you to run or or do certain actions at certain points, basically just to to help pace the scenes and and stop you charging ahead. And certainly early on, that does feel quite restrictive, and it does take a bit of a while to get used to. And it's, Obviously, it's not quite as free as other games, but it, it does mean that you get the story beats where the developers want them, and you get that extra impact. and And it is it is very it is very good. It's very compelling, and and I, I know that uh, something you said, Chris, was it's it's less of an out and out horror game because you can approach most of the combat with stealth mechanics. Yeah, and I like that. You know, that harks back to to my enjoyment of games like Thief, and and I'd rather do that. And that is really good fun. It, it does sort of challenge challenge how you're thinking about the different scenarios and the setups and sort of what you what items you've got and you know because you're ve- you're very restricted with with what you can carry and yeah. you've got barely any ammo and you've got to consider how you're doing it you can't go in all guns blazing because you'll run out of ammo so quickly so i'm ha- i am having a really really good time playing that i have no problem carrying on playing i'm totally hooked on the story i really want to know where it goes and it's especially knowing that obviously there's part two waiting for me like i'm really intrigued to see how that then picks up so yeah i'll, I'll definitely crack straight on with the sequel once i've once i've finished with this that's been uh, that's been great i'm getting through it bit by bit i know i'm behind you already because <laughs> the, the way you play <laughs> games tends to be slightly more intense than my approach but um yeah I, I have enjoyed it and i was surprised because i i've been able to play it like almost solo more than i thought i would be able to like a, a lot of horror games it's it's about the the big jump scare and it's about creating such like tension that 
every door is makes me feel fearful. And The Last of Us doesn't really feel like that so far, at least in the bits I've played. That, like you say, most encounters are like stealth puzzles. In the same way, like in Metal Gear Solid, you have a radar. You can kind of use the the magic kind of sense button in, in The Last of Us to almost like pinpoint where enemies are and then sort of think about your environment and what weapons you have access to, to, to how you're going to take them down and work through it. And I've appreciated that a lot more to sort of think about it, like I say, in terms of it being a puzzle game as opposed to like a straight up action horror game. So yeah, I I might get through it eventually. I haven't stopped yet, which is encouraging. <laughs> that is good. That is probably good. like three or four hours in, which is far further than I thought I'd get. Yes, and I have I have stuck to my word, and I have been texting you a couple of warnings <laughs> for uh, for the jump scares. Yeah, like but like when you see a door rattling, and Joel says, "Don't worry, I've got this." He doesn't got this. <laughs> <laughs> he really don't got this. <laughs> Yeah, I do appreciate it. You're very welcome. Should we move on to the rankings? Let's do it. Yeah, let's go. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Ooh. Chris, can you please tell us your 31st favourite video game? What, Governor? What? My 31st favourite video game is Thumper, oh, which yes. has already been on, on your list, Jonathan. What a game. It's dreadful. And and I mean dreadful, not that it not that it is bad, but that it is a game that fills me with dread yeah. more, more than I think anything I've ever played. And obviously, we just talked about The Last of Us being, you know, some sort of horror game. It's a different sort of feeling. This is true, like human dread. Yeah, this, this fills me with. It's the most oppressive game I've ever played. It's so intense. Like it's a game with such a singular, towering aesthetic vision and like razor sharp direction. That when I was playing it a lot around the launch of the, the PlayStation VR when I got my headset, I'd, I'd take the headset off and, and I wouldn't be able to relay what I'd witnessed. <laughs> it was like trying to explain it to someone. They're like, oh, what were you playing? It's like, oh, this game called Thumper. What's that like? Don't know. It, it's, so, it's so hard to get that feeling across. Like when, when you have the headset on and, and you're, you're just surrounded, like positively enveloped with light and color and noise, everything is so sharp and piercing that even the technical limitations of the headset, like the resolution seems so much higher than the, the VR unit should be capable of displaying. Yeah. And it's all because of, like I said, that that angular focus design. Like it's one of the most incredible things to behold, it, just in terms of like a visual experience before you even get to what it's like to play. It really does something weird to your brain. Like the game itself, you're a bug. Uh, I think it's a scarab beetle maybe by shape, yeah. but you know, it's, it's a bug essentially. And you travel infinitely into the distance along a long, thin track. And there are turns, but they're not turns in as much as being choices. So it might turn left, but that is just that you need to follow it left. You, you don't get the option to say, I will go left or right. You just kind of turn to match like the undulating track and the way it, it naturally snakes around. You have to press buttons at certain points. You have to hold directions at certain points. At some points, you'll combine these inputs. So you might make your bug sort of jump up and then slam down. It's essentially, it is a rhythm game and I'm a big fan of rhythm games. I, I really like music games, but the developers, when they described Thumper and its genre, like when showcasing early footage, described it as being rhythm violence. And it's, it's a term that doesn't make any sense until you put the headset on and then it it just clicks and makes sense 10 seconds after starting. It, it is really a, a violent experience. Like the core gameplay, as I've basically described it, is just Simon Says. It's the same as there's red so you hit red on the little sort of simon says machine things or or even like parappa the rapper 
So whereas like the masters in Parappa would, would say a line of a rap and then you repeat it by pressing certain face buttons, here the music track is the, the literal track in front of you. And a flashing line will mean that you press a button. A flashing curve means that you'll, you'll push either the D-pad or the analog stick. And there's actually less to consider than something like Parappa. But they, they ask you to hone your vision and your hearing so much more that being reactive will only ever get you so far. It is a very, very difficult game. And Thumper is also probably, I think, the most musical game, like the most complex musical game I've ever played. So what, what is the music like? <laughs> how, do, how, how do you explain the music in Thumper? I mean, the score feels like if you have a thousand piano pedal notes held concurrently, <laughs> and then at the same time, you've got the soundtrack to something like a razor head just getting faster and faster and faster behind you. Yeah. It's the sound of like being picked at by by tendrils and talons. Mm. <laughs> it, it's that kind of impression. And, and it's the sound of true darkness. <laughs> like it's so hard to really get yeah. a picture of what this this game does like I'm, I'm not a religious person but if someone said can you sort of try and describe a a picture of of biblical hell like the biblical image of hell <laughs> I, I think thumper is pretty close to what i conjure up in my head absolutely yeah it's, ex- it's exactly what my brother said when i yeah. showed it to him he said this is this is what i imagine purgatory is yeah and, and i think that's that's the perfect point like the idea of purgatory because I think Thumper is also a game about like hope and focus and release. And it's like the end is there. If, if you get through this track, that is, you know, it's like if we're using this analogy, like heaven is on the other side. There is something to, to go towards. And every stage in the game is, is made up of, of multiple sub-levels or sequences, I suppose you could call them. In gameplay terms, this means that uh, like early on, you might learn a pattern of, of buttons and commands. And then later on, that may repeat with more complicated variations in terms of like it being a musical game, like I said, this might mean that you're having to think about polyrhythms. You have to think about extreme syncopation. You have to think about backbeats, more and more complicated like subdivisions of notes. By the end of the game, if, if you don't have a rough handle on this stuff, it, I think it's impossible. Like I really think if, you, if, you, if you're not a musical person, you will really, really struggle to get through the entirety of Thumper. But after every one of these little sequences or sublevels, every successful bit you do you get this flash of light that genuinely feels brighter and more encompassing than, again, like we said, this this biblical imagery, like what I imagine the gates of heaven would admit. <laughs> it's, it's so bright. And and with the headset on playing it in VR, it's that's all you see. It's like it's a pure white surround all of a sudden. It also has this amazing mechanic that when you master that sort of jump and thump combo I mentioned earlier, you get the light, you get that flash, but you also get a sudden pause like you do when you hit an enemy in Zelda, like that hit stun. And every time that happens, like the game just appears like it freezes just for that split second. It feels like my heart's going to stop. Like it's it's so, so intense to play that the light just feels brighter and bolder and, and more welcome than the lighting in any other game I've played, like horror or otherwise. When I first tried to explain this, like I said, I, I had no words when I took the headset off for the first time after playing the first couple of stages. People said, okay, so what is Thumper then? Try and give me like a picture. And I said, all right, imagine... That famous scene from uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, with, with all the colours and the lights and, and flying towards the face, and mix it with like the famous riverboat scene from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> that is really spot on. It's That's like very that, good. that yeah. combination of just such intense light and, and such... There's no knowing where yeah, we're going. That, feel, that feeling of like, you are not in control, but this acceleration towards something... It's such a dynamic game, like a real dichotomy of a feeling, just intense light, intense darkness. It's, it's all there at all times. Now, I've, I've often said on this podcast that one of the reasons I struggle with games like, for instance, Resident Evil 4, 
is that it has an oppressive atmosphere that's created by its soundtrack. And like when an encounter starts in Resident Evil 4, you've got this clanking, lumbering, like industrial soundtrack, almost like Foley sounds in the background. And it plays over the, the grunts and shouts of the enemies, and it's all very close and claustrophobic and, and horrible. But Thumper's soundscape is so much more terrifying, yet I can do it because I feel so uniquely powerful that it's like there's a tremendous sense of anxiety, but but never fear because I, I feel like I have the keys that I can I can get through it because I can see the light on the other side. <laughs> and and when I beat the game, like it, it was a period of weeks it took to get through. There's only nine stages, but they are intense and long. <laughs> that when, when I beat it, it was such an incredibly rewarding feeling. And I, I think, if anything, it's a shame that it's got such a high barrier to entry to really experience this properly because it's on lots of platforms. I've heard like the Switch port is great and, and the 2D port and just the TV is great and the mobile port is meant to be great. But at the same time, I don't know how I could play this without the focus that VR gives you. Like when I'm in the zone, I, I can play Thumper instinctively and, and VR just hones all of your senses to make that work. Whereas as soon as I allow myself to think, if I start like talking myself through what obstacles are coming, I'm, I'm fucked. I fucked it. I can't do it. It's like you, you have to play just like feeling the rhythm and the music. And it's a game where I think when I was doing it well and when I got through that final stage, I, I felt like I was outside myself. Mm-hmm. It's like looking back at myself playing that it's like the later stages play with time signatures that are so alien if, if you're not used to music and, and are so, so demanding in terms of sections. Like there's very small room for error that you're playing along to counter rhythms in like 5-4 and 7-8 and all, and all these weird things <laughs> that it's so, so hard and yet so, so worth it if you have a headset, you have a bit of musical knowledge and you're, you're willing to persevere. And certainly if you've grown up listening to progressive rock music, <laughs> piece of cake. It helps. It does help massively. <laughs> there's, there's literally a section of a Genesis song called Apocalypse in 9-8 and there that is Thumper. There you go. <laughs> I mean, level nine, the final level in the game, is in nine eight. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the whole game, every stage essentially d- divides its its tempo by the stage number. Level three is like oh, a waltz, like a, a, a three four. Didn't know that. Yeah, it does That's help. Clever. Helps you get your head around it. But level nine, like the final level in the game, is such a head fuck because it's not just that you're playing essentially in a weird time signature. Like I said, you're breaking this down into into polyrhythms on top of that. And, and you're learning these little phrases and, and trying to play over the top. And it is such like a mess of your head by the end of it that it took me, I think, like 90 minutes, maybe two hours to beat that final stage. And after I took the headset off, I was just dripping in sweat. <laughs> like it's, it, it was like a workout. It's such an intense experience. Like for years, you, you might read a review of, say, like a fighting game. And, and the reviewer will say something like, oh, it's such a, such a visceral experience. And I'm sure I've been guilty of like using that word as well to describe games as being visceral, like punchy and visceral. But with Thumper, I think it's it's one of the only genuine times that that word makes sense. Yeah. Because it describes like a, a tangible claustrophobic violence that, that Thumper has to it. And I think it's it's really apt. Like it's, it's the only way I can describe this game that it is truly visceral. It's just, it's, it's such a fucking rush. <laughs> like, as a game, it's, it feels fast. It feels like super intense. There's just, I don't think there's anything else like it. And yeah, it's, it sold me on VR more than almost any other experience I'd played. Much better than like, oh, you've got two hands. You can wave the guns around. <laughs> it's, it's more immersive in a way than, than any of that could ever be. Because it's got, like I said, this singular focus. You're on the track. All you're trying to do is not deviate from that track. And it's absolutely brilliant. 
31st favorite game and and worth buying a VR headset for. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what I think about it. Yeah. Just listen back to the episode. <laughs> it is fantastic. I, I played it first on the Switch before I played it in VR. And yeah, it is... I mean... I don't know, what's the opposite of transcendental? It goes the other way. <laughs> but it's, it's that. It's yeah. that. Have I ever shown it to you, Binti, or have you played it? I've played a very small amount of it, but yes, it's a rhythm game, so I'm awful at it. But the little bit that I did play, I thought was excellent. I wish I had any kind of sense of rhythm, just so I can play it, because I often think back to it and I'm like, oh, that'd be good to play but also <laughs> i would not be good at playing it so yeah that's just something that something that i'll just have to enjoy vicariously i think indeed when lockdown's over i'll play it you can come over and just mm. touch my forehead so you can feel the perspiration <laughs> yeah i'll have to do it like that that scene in ghost so that i can feel the rumble on the controllers <laughs> 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 yep, yep. That's, that is a deal so moving on we have my game so I initially said quite a few weeks back when I spoke about The End Is Nigh that that was the most recent game I'd played prior to assembling this list but when I looked at it I realised that actually it's this game this week was actually the last one I played Fib. <laughs> yeah, it cast me out I'm a damn liar and because of that I, I actually had quite a hard time placing this game in my list because I, mean, I was really blown away by it and it was so fresh in my mind for a while it was in my top 10 but then when I started to shuffle things around in my list I really sort of challenged myself to as to where I was placing things it, it found its way a bit further down and I think you know part of that is I mean certainly looking at the games that are coming up next in my list over the next few weeks I think I did prioritize nostalgic games over more recent ones so to sum up before starting I think this game possibly deserves to be higher, but still, number 31 is, is nothing to be uh, to be snuffled out. <laughs> so this is a game on the Switch. It came a bit out of nowhere for me, and I, I wasn't sure at first whether or not I was going to get it, because it, it was it's quite a big and overwhelming RPG. But then when I saw just how beautiful the oh. special edition of the game was, <laughs> I could not resist buying... Octopath Traveler. Yeah. Oh, tell us about this wonderful game. <laughs> so, for those of you who haven't played Octopath Traveler, it is a fairly classic turn-based JRPG from Square Enix, very much in the style of like Final Fantasy games and the sort of the early Shining games, and it's got this beautiful art style that presents classic 2D pixel sprites in a tilt-shifted, almost pop-up book-style world, and it looks absolutely stunning and this is where the special edition got me because it, it comes in a pop-up book with a different pop-up diorama for each of the game's eight protagonists which is where the game gets its name and having eight protagonists having these eight stories this is this is the this is sort of the gimmick that sets this game apart from other jrpgs so there are eight protagonists eight separate stories for each of them that all overlap and intertwine with each other and you have full control over how you play the game and progress through the stories, what order you do things in and and all the rest of it. And your characters fall into, you know, fairly typical well, archetypes of RPG classes. You've got a knight, you've got a thief, a hunter, a cleric, an apothecary, a merchant, a scholar and a dancer. And Square really hang a lot on this concept because if these characters weren't compelling and if the writing wasn't good, the entire game would, would crumble. But... 
they succeeded in such extraordinary ways. Uh, it, it's rare in any game for you to feel compelled by, you know, more than one character, usually your protagonist. But I, I genuinely cared about all eight members of my party, and I, I was on tenterhooks for following each of their stories. And it's why the game wasn't overwhelming. It, it was like reading a good book. I just continually wanted to, to play on and find out what happened next. And I found it actually quite difficult to juggle the different storylines because I wanted just to plough ahead with, with each one because I was so, you know, I was so t- uh, taken in by it. And I, I, you know, I wanted to find out, but I, I'd have to stop and, and sort of catch some of the other storylines up a little bit just so the levelling up of the characters sort of worked for where I was in the game. Now, Nintendo did a nice thing when they released a demo for this game, which gave you the chance to pick one of the characters and play their entire first chapter. And then you could carry that over into the main game when it was released. And this is how I ended up having Olberic, the former knight living in exile, as my first main Ah, character. The Olberic shithouse. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And playing the first chapter of his story in the demo, seeing the start of his story, and particularly hearing the brilliance of the voice acting for his character, I mean, really helped sell me on on buying the full game. And, And it was nice because... I then had a bit of an in at the start of this massive adventure. I wasn't starting entirely from scratch and, and uh, you know, I could hit the ground running when, when I got the main game. Now, I'm not going to say too much about the story because it's so intrinsic to the enjoyment of the game and seeing how it all unfolds and weaves together is the reason why it's so good. But I, I, I do want to express just how good the story is. You know, like each character has a really satisfying arc. They all have really compelling motivations. The stakes are so high in the game and and they have to be to, you know, to warrant all of these stories weaving together in, in, in the way that they do. And, and it pulls together people from all corners of this world. And the payoffs you get for each of the characters' story and for the whole game are just incredibly satisfying. It's just... It's just brilliant. I know Minty's got a, re- a really good knack for for retelling a story of an RPG. So uh, perhaps I'll leave the uh, the summary of the story of the game for, for when it inevitably appears in, in his list. <laughs> oh, presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other brilliant things in the game is how each character interacts with each other as well. And there are these little separate dialogue sections written depending on the specific makeup of your main party at certain points in the adventure. So like when you stop at a tavern, you'll, you'll see them chatting with each other. And it feels just so organic and so specific that, you know, it actually feels quite special when you're playing it because you know that most people aren't playing the game how how you're doing it. And it's actually, a, it's a, you know, it's a clever way of investing the player in the story and giving the player real ownership of, of, of the game. Now, I mean, I could wax lyrical about each of the characters for quite some time because they're just all really fully formed. It's... I mean, it's the sort of writing you don't usually see outside of a novel, to be honest. Like, they've all got their own distinct characteristics, little habits and foibles, like Cyrus the scholar, who has a, a brilliant mind, but, but no real social intelligence. So, uh, like, there's one of his, his, uh, his like, grad students is totally in love with him, and he's entirely oblivious to it, and it's, it's quite endearing. But one of my favourite characters, possibly my favourite in the game, isn't one of the main eight, well, it's 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 a close call actually because there's there's a character called uh, Leon who's the captain of a ship in uh, Tressa, the young merchant story, and he's he's fantastic and he's got this. Oh, we love Captain Leon. Oh, he's he's brilliant. He's got a great <laughs> sort of hidden past as like a pirate, and and he's just yeah, he's great. But my favourite, and I know that Minty loves this guy as well, is Heathcote, the uh, yeah. the butler of a noble family who is, is central to the uh, the thief's story, Therian, who who was also brilliant. 
I think I might have to do a spoiler special of Octopath at some point after it's appeared on Minty's list. Presumptuous, I know, but it will. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, can, I can get all of my thoughts off my chest about this game because I've got so so much I want to say about it. And I haven't even touched on talking about like the battle system in the game, which is also great. For the most part, it's you know fairly typical JRPG stuff. You've got physical attacks, magical attacks. You know, you can block, heal, run away, etc. But there's this uh, one mechanic in the battles called boost points which accrue every turn and you can save them up to then boost the power of other moves and it's really really cool and adds a real edge of strategy to the battles especially as i mean there's so many techniques and abilities the characters can learn and develop in their own class and then later on in the game you also get the option to add another class to your character so they've got two classes and broaden the abilities of each member of your party and again, this is like another way of playing through the game that will most likely be unique to you and, and how you want to approach it. Like the only downside I had to the battle system is that some battles, certainly some of the boss battles later in the game, turn into more of like a puzzle game where you need to have your party set up in a certain way so that certain characters have the use of certain abilities and I found that like if you didn't figure that out, you can't just like grind to get more powerful and, and get through it. I mean, to, yeah, to be fair, it's not really a negative because it, it does mean that you have to broaden your knowledge of the game's various systems. But it, it meant that I personally, I really struggled with the final final boss because it required such a specific setup of character lineups. Because not only do you need to fight the final boss with your party of four picked out of your whole party of eight, there was also a second boss that then the remainder of your party have to fight. So you can't just stick with one team throughout the game and just like level them all up. You know, you've got to sort of switch in and out so that your 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 other members, all your members are getting leveled up equally because you've got to make use full use of all of them in the end. There's I mean there was a lot to think about. <laughs> like a lot a lot to think about. Like, I mean like I said, like if if this was a review of the game, it would be a positive aspect of the game because it is very, very complex and it's very sophisticated and very clever. But I'm just used to being able to level up high enough in an RPG to get through a final boss fight. And I wasn't able to do that this time. And uh, yeah, so I, I really, really struggled, really struggled with the final boss. Like, uh, I'm thrilled when I beat it, but I, I did have to get some strategic help from uh, some some uh, some online FAQs and stuff. Because uh, it really, yeah, well, it almost beat me. Almost beat me. Mm. <laughs> so... As is customary, I'll finish by praising the game's incredible score. It is fantastic, an amazing soundtrack, brilliantly and thoughtfully composed by uh, Yasunori Nishiki. Each character has their own theme, and it's got their own little motif that, that comes back time and time again. Each area has an incredible theme, the antagonists all have themes, and it's just wall-to-wall fantastic. It's, it's brilliant, some of the absolute best RPG soundtrack work I've, I've ever heard. And even though, like... I subscribe to uh, Apple Music and I've got access to most music I could I could want to listen to. There are, there are some things that that I will still buy because I want to support it and 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 I, you know I want to know that I own it. And I did not blink before buying the full three disc soundtrack of this game so that I know I've got it. I know Minty has a, a specific memory of one of the tracks which which. I'll leave him to talk about another day. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that I'll probably play through the game again at some point. Just just thinking about it again, writing this has planted a bit of a seed to, to revisit that world and, and sort of remind myself of, of the full story. I, I don't know how a sequel to the game would play out. Like, I know that there isn't, there is like a prequel in the works for mobile, but I think like news of that seemed to drop off the scene like about a year ago. So I'm, I'm not, not sure what's happening there. I did mention the other week that 
when I played the demo for Bravely Default 2, it made me think that that game was, was treading very similar beats to Octopath Traveler and also with a very similar art style. And, and it does look it does look great. And I said then that because of that, I, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't play it because I could just play Octopath Traveler again. But now that I've really got the hankering to play it, I, uh, I I'm certainly uh, certainly intrigued by Bravely Default Two. But I think I'll wait for the reviews to come in and and more importantly hear, hear Minty's verdict of it as well before before I look further into the that. RPG man. Indeed, <laughs> he's the RPG boy. The RPG B. Not <laughs> <laughs> the RPG Bs. Oh, the RPG Bs. Yes, that's me. <laughs> but anyway, Octopath Traveler absolutely incredible game one of the best jrpgs i've ever played and a, a real highlight in the switch library and uh yeah my 31st favorite video game of all time great never played it i always wanted to because it looked nice but it's about a billion hours isn't it it's not a billion hours <laughs> i think i probably put 80 hours into it oh just 80 i mean yeah that is quite a lot <laughs> yeah <admittedly. laughs> so lastly but not leastly we have minty boom it's i can you please tell us about your 31st favorite video game of all time i can yes yes i'm drawing to a close a little uh, trilogy of game boy advance games ah. with this week's pick i don't really have a lot to say about it really <laughs> that's one of the disadvantages of knowing what you like it means that you you really invest heavily in particular series so Let's just get this out of the way. You're a little lad, and you save the world with your pets. It's Pokemon Emerald. Oh, excellent. The green one. The green one, yes, yes. This is a good one because my first exposure to the third generation was Pokemon Sapphire. Yeah, me too. I understand why you love Kyogre so much. Oh, yeah. I did as well in that game. I thought all the things that it added to the Pokemon series, things like weather, things like uh, Pokemon's abilities and natures, that they weren't they weren't groundbreaking, they weren't sort of revolutionary, but they were just little advances that really took the series up a notch. I think they were really great. But you could say that about any game. Oh, the new one is good and it has new things. Like that's kind of kind of a nothing thing to say. So Here's a couple of things that I really liked about the game, and then I'm going to move into a little story, which... Um, <laughs> oh, story time! Yeah. My favourite part <laughs> about Generation 3 was that there was an almost completely secret evolution line of Pokemon that you didn't see right until the very end. Missingno. No, no. Um, it was... <laughs> <laughs> it was actual and it was real. Um, the Metagross line. Oh, yeah. You could get right to the end of the game and had no idea that that line existed right up until the champion battle. And it was his, his last Pokemon, Stephen Stone's signature Pokemon. It's such a distinctive and cool looking Pokemon. That's fantastic. Like, well, I've, got, I've got to have this now. <laughs> and then you get a little letter saying, I, I, I'm giving you my, my favourite Pokemon. It's a Beldum. Mm. And you evolve it. And, oh excellent really really excellent reveal but the story that i want to tell this is a story a yearning almost for uh, a time long gone a time that i don't think we'll ever be able to go back to with the advances in uh, internet content distribution if you like do you remember the cinema uh it's like a dark place what's, right what's that what happens there it's a big dark room yeah yeah it's it's a big room and like stuff happens in front of you yeah yeah i think well <laughs> like a flat theater 
it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. So you, you have the you have the cinema screens, but then they also have these things called like lobbies. They're, they're in big buildings, so not the, the whole thing isn't a cinema. Okay, but you go into the cinemas. Uh, okay, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no, no, I think yeah. I've got you. Yeah, the lobby is where you buy your tickets and your snacks. And oh, you sit... snacks! Yeah, Sna- yeah, yeah, like lots of little food. <laughs> My local view had uh, had an event on back in the day where you would you would go along. With your car, with your Game Boy, and your copy of Pokemon, and they would take your cart, stick it in the machine, and they would give you a rare Pokemon. Ah, that's cool. In this case, it was a Deoxys. Ah, yeah. And now that I've revealed that, I can reveal that my uh, my little intro sound was the cry of Deoxys, and I'm going to post it in the group now so that you can <laughs> see that I'm actually very talented <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> Oh, wow, oh, yeah. yeah, it does. Pretty good. Indistinguishable. Anyway, <laughs> me and my friend went down to view and we picked up our Deoxys and then we had a little event about it. It was really cool, actually. So he had all the reps being all like, hey, what's your favourite Pokemon? Oh, yeah, why don't you why don't you battle with, uh, with this guy over here? You know, just that nice little community building thing, which was really nice at the time, actually. And there was a little stand where you could play like a, a demo deck for the trading card game and i think that sort of thing i haven't really experienced it very much recently mostly because i don't want to anymore because most sort of fandoms and gaming communities have outed themselves as being extremely toxic yeah um, which is yeah. a shame but i don't know just getting like going into your local game and getting a receipt with a code on it to download a pokemon it's nice and it's nice picking like two up yeah, one for me, one for Jonathan. Whenever I used yeah, to go in, like that. That's nice, but just something a little missing. And don't even get me started on midnight launches, mm-hmm. like completely soulless queuing at an hour where you'd rather be in bed. I don't know why I ever went. I guess my 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 enduring memories of Pokemon Emerald, a good game, a good Pokemon game, but also I think back to that that time where there was a sense of these events that happen around it. They're really cool, and it'll be it'll be nice to go to more of them. But it was the only one that ever happened that I knew about because they all happened in like central London at the big flagship game stores. So yeah. having one come down to Croydon was really nice. But yeah, that 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 sense of event outside of the game itself, I think, is something that should probably come back. But also in a way that doesn't lend itself to people being absolutely awful to other people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. More Pokemon Go, less Pokemon No. Yeah. Perfect. Seamless. More Pokemon Go, less Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's, it's one of the things, it's, it's obviously it's convenient uh, having things like Mystery Gift and stuff like that in Pokemon because it means that you don't have that fear of, of missing out because it's like, oh, I can just do it in my pants or, you know, on the loo and get a rare Pokemon or something. But it's... Oh, Something about, like, certainly those early games and the idea of, like, the legendary Pokemon, certainly, like, the real mythical ones like Mew and, like, Celebi, where it was, like, oh, it was just so... It was just very exciting. And it wasn't, like, oh, you know, yeah, here you go, here's a Mew mystery gift for everyone. It's, like... It was a ticket to go to a mystery island. Yeah, and it's, like, no yeah. it's like, no, no one I knew had that. Nobody got that on. And it's, like, oh, you really... You know, it's, like, oh, apparently, like, this game store is doing it in Canterbury or whatever. Let's go at the weekend and get it. Mm. And, oh, yeah, like, making it, like, a real events like you said it's it's uh it's lovely and unfortunately it's something that has been has been lost and because people well most people are 
absolutely awful, it's not something that we're likely to, to, to see again and, and experience in the same positive way that, that we did when we were younger. It was a better time. Mm. We're all scumbags. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's a scumbag. So there we go. Another three games. A lovely, eclectic trio of games. First of all, we had... The absolutely hellish Thumper. And then we had Octopath Traveller. Before finally... We finished with Pokemon Emerald. Ah, yes. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do subscribe to the podcast and share it on social media. We absolutely love it when we see people doing that. It really means a lot to us, and it does help spread the podcast wider and get some some new listeners in. You can also reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash our three cents. You can chat to us there about these games. You can tell us what you're playing. You can take us to task about some of our opinions. You can suggest things that you might like us to do in the future. A bonus episode you might like us to record, or, or a question you might like us to answer you can also reach out to us individually i'm on twitter at jonathan dunn i live at Chaz underscore hodges on twitter and i'm currently based at clement underscore boo <laughs> please do check out our youtube channel give the new super mario maker 2 super world video a whirl it is a lot of fun and please do subscribe to the channel so that you make sure not to miss out on new stuff that we're uploading and we'll be uploading got loads of stuff in the pipeline loads of stuff it's going to be great and if you're really enjoying what we're doing do head over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents and pledge a few pennies we would love that and appreciate that hugely and hope that we'll make it worth your while with the amazing perks that we have on offer there and please do join us next week for our 30th favorite video games of all time boss level ta Fans of video games, history, or video game history will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network.